Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. My name's Eric, with me is my co-host Ray. Hello. And my co-host Robert. Hi. As you can tell, we've got a rhino full of guests today, and that seems to be the theme of the new transport rules. That was a few, one of the many things, actually, that was talked about about the new 10th edition rules. We have three tournaments to talk about from this past weekend, and of course, we'll start things off with uh, the upcoming Warhammer Fest. We actually have a, a schedule of events, so uh, Robert, what do we have there? Well, for those of you that like it short and sweet, on April 29th, 9 a.m. of Britain time, is the 40 key previews. So you can watch those at some time, like, I don't know, two in the morning or whenever they're going to put it on. Sounds about right. And also somewhere buried in there, if you are interested in it, is a nine round 40K event. You know, it's just kind of there. It's kind of there. <laughs> I'll to see exactly who's going to be attending and what kind of event it'll be. Be curious to see that. Yeah. And then there's also previews going on on sunday which for those of us that like actually playing age of sigmar which is currently not me because i haven't rolled a single dice for that game since i got the ogre book uh there's four there's sigmar previews early in the morning and then in the middle of round five is previews for the horus heresy and old world the the mythical game they're finally actually talking about it. Yeah. So we as a host group here are uh, very divided on <laughs> if this is news or not. <laughs> uh, I hated everything about Warhammer Fantasy Battles. You cannot convince me otherwise. Many of you, I think, are just riding on nostalgia and don't remember just how broken and ridiculous those rules were and a waste of time. But um, if you had a good time in the old days, have fun. You have a table next to me that you can play with. I won't be taking up your space. And for me, being someone who has only played it in passing after the game went poof, I found it enjoyable because it was silly. But man, if you want crunchy rules, I think the only thing crunchier is probably Necromunda. At least with Necromunda, you only got like seven or eight models and you're going up and down cool terrain. The nonsense of the Bretonian player will now move his trebuchet. The trebuchet, meaning the one historically that took a week to set up before the battle, he's moving it mid-battle? Uh, no. No, sorry. <laughs> um, how about the random terrain that uh, you, you take cover in the forest? Oh, the forest tries to eat you now. What? What is this nonsense? Oh, here we go. Here's my favorite one. I have four battle ranks. You have three battle ranks, so therefore I should win by one. Oh, wait, we haven't rolled for your champion, but he's meticulously placed on the corner so he can hit three of my soldiers, but he can't. None of most three soldiers can hit back for some odd reason. So one minute we're abstract, next minute we're minute detailed. The game's terrible. Bury it with the stupid Atari ET game. Please get rid of this crap. There's nothing particularly original about recycling Tolkien meets uh, whatever uh, Renaissance area European soldiers. It was stupid. Double down on Sigmar. You've got something good there. Oh, cannot believe they're wasting your time on this. Dang, I should have gotten popcorn for that. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And Val Hiffelfinger, if you're listening, you and I, we'll go one-on-one. -on -one. Come on. The game sucks. I played seven editions of it. It's terrible. Every edition, I raised my expectations. This is the year they'll get it right. And they found another way to screw it up. 
every goddamn time. They even stole from two games that got it right, and they still messed it up. Oh, I hated that damn game. So, Eric is so passionate, he's changing the ratings. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my giant toad on a, st- on a stone stool is going to drop a comet on something. Oh, we have time to move out of the way. It's fine. Oh. But the vampire, he can make your entire army dissolve in one turn. Oh, the game is so stupid. I had no idea that all it would take for us to possibly get you to drop an F-bomb on the show was just talk about fantasy. <laughs> and the funny part is, it's completely changed the topic as a sorbet. It was uh, prom this weekend, and my daughter went to went to the prom, and uh, our house was the post-prom stopping point. And I didn't think much of it. We said, oh, we'll set them up in the guys in the, the playroom so they can watch TV, watch movies, all these snacks and all that. Lo and behold, my daughter's prom date recognized the large intercessor cutout that I have on my wall and knows exactly what warmer hammer is. So now I'm like, well, oh, maybe this guy should stick around a little bit. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Way to go! <laughs> so anyway, so... Yes. Um, the one set of previews I did forget about because I don't play any of these games very much at all is Warcry, Underworlds, and the Middle Earth Stra- the Middle Earth Strategy game are also on Saturday. Whoop de diddly do. Yeah, I heard they're good games. Yep. And then the last preview is Kill Team on Monday. The thing that I actually like about this more is the fact that it's a nine round event held by GW and I've never seen any event bigger than eight rounds. Yeah, you're right. Now that I think about it, they always did the, the, the pod system after so many rounds and just figured it out from there. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe because they're doing it in England and they have a different person running the event. Maybe. Who knows? Hmm. But also, this is this has me scratching my head, too. It looks like they have three and a half hour rounds. Well, you know, casual rounds. Not always. So... <laughs> I'm fairly certain that what's going on is there's a half hour lunch that's at a weird time. And if you look at the uh, round one on Saturday, it's at 10 a.m. Then round two is at, it's three hours there. And then, yeah, there's three and a half hours from the start of round two to the start. So I think they're just going to have their lunch after round two. Yeah, yeah, I guess that makes sense because otherwise the, the three and a half hours would drop on top of each other so maybe they just have two and a half hour rounds or whatever like normal size events do but needless to say it's nine rounds if this is a certified itc event that's gonna be a lot of points should be so uh curious to see how like then i i'm assuming the the big guys from england so the manny chimas the david gaylards will be at the event and um racking up some points there this is the second week in a row. We've not seen a whole lot of big events now here in the U.S. So be curious to see this is a way for them to kind of regain dominance over the top 10. So we'll have to take a look at that. Yep. So be wary of that for it's going to be a very busy Saturday because of the Warhammer previews. So if you feel like being up at 2 a.m. to watch them live, if they stream them, then cool. You get to see probably more 10th edition stuff than anyone else does, except for the articles that have come out over the mm-hmm. Before we get to that, let's go over. We do have three events to talk about. Uh, one in yeah. Mariel, England, and uh, actually two in England. No, one in England, one in North Carolina, one in Florida, I believe. Yep. So 
is the battle for the bay is in Tampa Bay, Florida. They, they get my vote because they have a pirate ship. They do. Very cool. Very cool logo. Yes. So a quick run through of the top five. We have Travis Hill playing Custodes going four and one. He sadly lost his first round in, in, in the event. In fourth place, we have Dalton Peters with Orcs. In third place, we have David Ozawa in, with Grey Knights. This I saw this event. I was super interested because it's a different spread than what we would expect across the current meta state right now. In second place, we have Mike Muzeni with more custode. And in first place, we have Kevin Gone with Necrons. Interesting. Especially because we have got a local guy here who insists that Necrons are completely uncompetitive in the current meta. And I'm like, how is that possible? So, yeah, doing a, a quick browse through his list, it is very much the same idea that people have been running and been beating to death, where it's a lot of destroyers and then a whole bunch of scarabs to just gum things up. So, it's something like, yeah, 12 score packs. Um, five five locust plus a heavy destroyer, and then three more heavies and the king. So it's all the rerolls and accurate assault placement equals. Hey, guess what? <laughs> We're gonna walk forward and eat you. Nice. And I did catch that he was playing Neolac, so that's the get off my lawn nice. Necrons. Yes, I have a lot of practice doing that voice because I loved playing that Dynasty back in 8th edition. <laughs> Yay, 2 plus and vulnerable save race. I just call them Nickelback all the time. And then bust it out of whatever Nickelback song I think of at that time. Then you, sir, are rude. Well, <laughs> you are the one who continuously calls Jormungandr. That's so true. Surprise <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, so, Eric, are you just trapped in a board game? I might be. I can hear the drums anytime I try to do something. Well, at that point, we're just going to go to North Carolina and leave Eric behind in the lion's den, and we're going to go see the Mayhem GT. Excellent. <laughs> so we have, in the top five, we have Fink Verut with Iron Hands. Not surprising. Jeremy Knox with Astro Militarum. Again, not surprising. In third place, we have Robert Hawkins. No relation to this Stephen Hawkins. With Death Guard, so he somehow he somehow wormed his way in there like a maggot. He tends to carry around. Yeah, that's interesting. The Death Guard finished on top, especially with an Iron Hands player that high up in the, in the rankings as well. Very interesting. So, yep. And in second place, we have Jamie Beaton with Dark Angels. And in first place, we have Kyle Treya with Demon. I'd be curious if they were playing with the um, balanced data slate at that point, since. Um. Yeah, that's a that's a good thought. Because at this point, it's it was just this last weekend. The data slate came out maybe two weeks before then, or something like that. Maybe a little less. So yeah, yeah, the Dark Angels losing uh, tr uh, automatic transhuman on Inner Circle. It'd be interesting to see that. I think that's if they were using it. I think that's why the demons probably did so well, because they have um, a Bloodthirster, Lord of Change, Transweaver, some Bloodletters. Demonettes, some Nurglings, Pink Horrors, a bunch of Fiends, a decent amount of, um, well, I say a bunch of Fiends, but it's four Fiends, uh, 10 Flamers, and then 15 Flesh Hounds. That's a lot of doggies. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what Flesh Hounds do anymore. I have to read those. I know they get rid of Hounds of Corn. They just, then they used to have the, the kind of like the cheap version, and then the Flesh Hounds were the expensive version. Huh, I have to read that up again. 
I know there's a couple of lists floating around where it's like uh, maxed out uh, units, uh, three maxed out units of fiends, and then the rest is all demonettes, and they're just mm. and rushing forward and taking advantage of always strikes first and all that. So, yeah, I would I would assume that the bloodthirster you had in his list was the exalted bloodthirster, so yeah. he can only take eight damage a phase. Yep. And if he's swinging at Dark Angel's Terminators that aren't transhumaned at like really high AP and a lot of damage, that's easily a bunch of dead Terminators on a blood. Throw. Yeah, easily. So, good point. So then from North Carolina, we, yeah, North Carolina is on the East Coast. I always get them in Dakota mixed up. Carolina and Dakota? Really? Have you been to these places? <laughs> no, that's why I get them mixed <laughs> No, I have not been to these places. That's why I get them mixed one's up. One's hot and humid, the other one's snowy. It's going to be any more different. Oh my god. I don't know my geography oh that well, Eric. God. Oh my god. All right. If well, I may, yes. if I may, think of this, Rob. California, <laughs> or just like California, Carolina is on the coast. Okay, that's not going to help my geography because I'm going to forget it, Ray. Well, <laughs> We're going to Herefordshire, which I'm not. I know that's in England. Yep, yep. We we launch across the pond from North Carolina, totally not North Dakota. <laughs> so we have Franco McDonald with demons in fifth place. We have Lewis Leeson with Imperial Knights in fourth place. Ooh, what? That's that's fun. Uh, some Helverns, some Warglaves, and Errant, some Moiraxes, and Paladin, and it is a free blade lance, so it's the knight idea that we've seen get tossed around a decent amount, so it's good to see that it actually performed really well. In third place, we have Fred McGinty with World Eaters. In second place, we have James Grover with Eldar, just Eldari. Hmm. And then in first place, we have Martin Cooper with Astra Militimo. There it is. Astra Militimo finally got a GT win, so... The, the, the sky can now actually start falling. So, Yeah, I'm looking at this guy's record, and I think Martin might have had an accidental unfair advantage, because he only moved away from table one once. I guess he gets a, the lay of the land. So, Yeah, it, like nothing against him personally, because I'm pretty sure he's a great player, but being able to use the same terrain over and over and over again does make you kind of real. Yeah, no kidding. Well, we're going to definitely talk about terrain in a little bit, but uh, as I say, let's dive into it. Uh... Hey, listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right. This is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament you can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out they're sturdy the boxes help protect your models and if you when you order they come fast the order is right and for a better price than the other guy so go to krcases.com and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Exterminatus podcast. Is your beer keg boring? Does it not have enough tentacles coming out of it? Does it not taste as funny as you remember because you didn't put a tear in it? Well, the wonderful makers of the Necro Nom 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 to replace your average pizza decided to come out with a, another book of the Lovecraft Cock. So they're from RedDukeGames.com and it will guide you through 78 
different kinds of cocktails to summon a demon, summon a space bug. Who knows? Either way, it's going to be a very, very wonderful time. And we would highly recommend that you try to not ingest too many while at the gaming table, because we don't know exactly what's going to happen when you roll Perils of the Warp or you roll a natural one on your persuasion check if you decide to play in So if you're looking for fanciful drinks, go ahead and grab the Lovecraft Cocktails by the madmen at reddukegames.com, the makers of the Necro Nom Nom. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Several previews this week of significant variety about 10th edition. So these coming from the Warhammer community, I'm sure you've looked at them already. We'll break them down for you. And um, yeah, these are some biggies. So start off right off the bat, the new turn structure, the battle round. Uh, we've already heard that hinted on the video that the psychic phase is gone. And uh, there we have, have it in print. So yep, we've got command phase, movement phase, shooting phase, charge phase, fight phase. Hmm. No morale phase, that's right. That's actually done during the command phase as well. So we are two shorter, two phases have been removed from the game. Yep. It's going, the blah, 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 English. The, the way the turn is laid out now definitely makes it a little more clean because now instead of having to factor in how many guys your unit lost and how it compares to their leadership and blah, 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 blah. It's it all happens at the start of the turn where you check to see if your unit's broken and the the stuff being uh, failing a battle shock test makes it so that way they lose stuff like a, their controlling factors for objectives they can't fall back and they must use a de desperate escape test which I'm assuming has something to do with their leadership to oh it says you must take a desperate escape test for every model in that unit wow that is hopefully a sped up test i'm good but my guess is it's going to be similar to getting out of a transport you roll roll ones and some model dies mm -hmm. yeah and also the big thing is that the unit cannot be affected by stratagem I, i'm kind of on the fence yeah what is this the, i'm i'm affected by stratagems or their objective control goes to zero i'm thinking the first one is a big well, deal. <laughs> it's the them being scared is one thing where it breaks stuff. But if you so if you lose objective control, um, it actually works similar to Horus Heresy, where your your line troops are the only things that score you points. But everything in your army can contest an objective. So if you have a land raider holding an objective versus a line troop, that line troop is not holding the objective, it's being contested by a land raider. So you have these this unit that doesn't have any objective control, which means, oh, I can't use stratagems on them. They're dead anyway. I might as well have them stay in combat and continue fighting this thing until it's dead or until they die, just to make it a nuisance for your opponent. That's the trade-off for that, whereas them not being able to be affected by stratagems. Imagine if a death a 10-man Deathwing Knight unit failed the battle shock test and could not be affected by Fury of the First. Um, I'm still leaning to it. First of all, I, I think from what I remember when they explained 
the uh, objective control is that, yeah, I've got 10 models here on the table. Oh, nope, I'm down to four. I failed my battle shock test because I'm below half strength. Doesn't matter if they're four line, battle line troops or whatever. They now four guys that don't do anything. So whether I'm in close combat or not, I don't think they're holding the objective anymore. That's the way I, I read that. Well, yeah, they're not holding the, the objective anymore, which is correct. Hmm. It's the, I'm still in combat. This unit is no longer as important to you because it's not holding the objective. Oh, okay. I thought when you said it could still contest the objective, like, not really. I mean, it's got like, there's a chance of killing something, yes, but... Yeah, and that's what I'm saying by contest is okay. They can, they still exist. They can still fight. They can still fight and destroy models. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, terminology difference. The contesting objectives was something from good old fifth edition. That was another ability. So, yeah, it, it it's the same. It falls into the same idea. It's just different mechanically. Yeah. Because instead of just standing on a point, it's your fight. You literally have these guys go you don't kill them, they're going to walk in and kill you. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I think it's interesting that it's no longer just escorting models off the table or just somehow losing more, you know, taking more casualties. Suddenly the unit is less effective. I think it's particularly shocking that this now extends to uh, single model units. That if they're below half their wounds, they can fail a leadership chest. Which I was like, what? I haven't seen that since the... Actually, I haven't seen, ever seen that in 40K. I've only seen that in Warzone. So I was like, wow, this is new and different. Yeah, so that means for something like a large model, like a Armager or a War Dog, they get down to five wounds. You can potentially not be able to hold things anymore. That makes big knights go from 24 to 12. Well, once you hit 11, things start getting real dicey for your big knight to even be there. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, I'd be curious if they, because in the old rules, they had, the vehicle keyword conferred the fearless rule so they never had to worry about morale but ah don't know i don't know i don't know if that's the case in 10th edition so be curious to see how they do that other big things as they had talked about uh uh, psychic abilities are simply baked into the aforementioned phases so for and they gave a couple examples and um there's a lot hidden in here and it was very surprising so they start off with the librarian that appeared in the uh, previous uh, video, is what I'm trying to say. So right off the bat, the surprise. Smite, it's in the shooting phase. It's a shooting attack. And uh, it features two versions, a regular and a focused version. Stat line is pretty impressive. Uh, D6 attacks, ballistic skill 3, uh, strength 5, AP minus 1, D3 damage. If you do the focused version it goes up to strength six ep minus two but it does pick up uh devastating wounds if correct me if i'm wrong six is to wound auto wound is that the uh it's well the in devastating wounds it's six is to wound turns into mortal wounds instead okay and also has a hazardous ability so basically those of you who remember get hot from your plasma that's what it does so i was like oh okay that seemed pretty straightforward yep the, and then we also get to see our first instant of a force weapon, which has the psychic keyword. So his big old force axe is he gets four attacks hitting on threes at strength six, AP one, D three damage. So 
if you have a way to interact with the psychic keyword, then you might be able to mess with that. Otherwise, it's nothing different than just a, a melee weapon at that point. So the mystery gets a little deeper if you look on his abilities side of things. So, of course, remember we learned last time that leader units join units. So when he joins a unit, his psychic hood conveys a four-up feel no pain against psychic attacks. So it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of handy. But then it shows the Veil of Time psychic ability. While this model is leading a unit, weapons equipped by this model have the sustained hits one ability. So exploding sixes generate one additional hit. I've not noticed any uh, psychic tests anyways to deny. Is this just an automatic thing? As long as the, 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 the librarian is in the unit, they get this for free? Is this how it works? Yes. Uh, if it does, in fact, work that way, which so far it's seeming like it is, psychers are going to play a are going to be used a lot more depending on what their abilities are because if we jump down to the much leaner data sheet of a weird boy he only has two attacks ed banger and the weird boy staff that's it because he's an orc because he's awesome so the ed banger has 24 inch range it's a single attack because he thinks real hard with his one brain cell he hits on a four Wait a minute, we hit on fours now. What? What is this? We hit on fives. We're an orc. We don't know more than that many. Um, but it's strength six, AP three, and one damage. And it has a precision uh, keyword. If I, if I correct me if I'm wrong, we believe that is the... You can snipe out characters with it. Yep, that is... I'm going to assume what it is. And then his melee weapon is a weird boy staff of three attacks hitting on threes. Strength eight, AP one, D three damage. This is the other difference that I caught. Y'all remember when you when your psyker dies to perils of the warp and they can potentially blow up and hit everything? Mm-hmm. The librarian doesn't have that, but the weird boy does. He does. He has deadly demise, D3. <laughs> so if you're within six inches and he dies on a six up, you take D3 mortal wounds. Or whatever the distance is, because I don't think they showed off the distance when they talked about it in the vehicle templates. Uh, you think you're right. I think they may just, maybe it's assuming that. But, I'd like to go one step further on that. Yeah. Yeah, there's not much when it mentions perils. There's also nothing right now mentioned in nine. <laughs> Doom and Jinx have returned and are unbridled powers. They might be. I agree with Ray. I've yet to see anything that says that you can't stop. And especially when you read the uh, Weird Boy further, uh, the jump shows there's a there is a fail point there, but it's pretty minimal. And uh, the Wog energy. At, oh, man, I'll let Robert read it. He's the orc boy. So, all right, gits. So, when this year, Maulin, no, no, that's a terrible podcast form of no. trying to talk like an orc on here, and I haven't done it in a while. <laughs> uh, but yes, when he's leading a unit, you add one to strength and damage characteristics of this model's Ed Bengal weapons for every five models in that unit rounding down. But while that unit contains 10 or more models, that weapon has the hazardous ability. So, he thinks real 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 hard and if you have him attached to a brick of 20 boys he goes up to let's see that's strength eight well strength seven strength eight strength nine strength 10 and that ed banger is a is a flat five damage so he's gonna be uh taking out some of the terminators pretty quick well one at a time because it's only one attack <laughs> he's still doing some work yeah yeah he is and then the jump it's the first time we've seen something that resembles a possible chance that a, a psychic test could fail. Mm -hmm. Yep, because, and this one is done specifically at the end of the movement phase. So it's a, instead of 
oh, you move up your boys to the weird boy, and then you to jump them. It's, all right, cool. We don't even need to move as long as we leave a good old pocket for this entire blob. So during the movement phase, well, during the end of the movement phase, a weird boy from your army can use to jump where if you roll a one, you take DC D6 mortal wounds on the weird boy unit. So you kill up to six boys on the way out. On a two plus, you take the weird boys unit and you literally just jump them nine inches away horizontally from all enemy models. So again, no vertical challenges, just as long as you're nine inch horizontally, yeah, good. And you're seeing a lot of that, by the way, This the, the verbiage of horizontally nine inches away. You're seeing that in a lot of the other rules we've seen so far. Mm -hmm. Because, go ahead. No, it's the same. So just obviously the days of the crazy angles of uh, floating bases on hovercraft and whatnot is finally caught up with GW. So Yeah, the, the way I think of it is instead of having a big sphere around every unit it's now a cylinder it is just nine inches horizontally doesn't matter how tall you are as long as you are nine inches horizontally away from us so those big old cylinders yeah so one question's come up a few times i don't have the answer for it but it seems like the days of picking your psychic powers are gone that they're locked into your data sheet so I'm not sure, especially for those who are used to characters having all kinds of options. I could be wrong. They might be in enhancements. Um, we're adding new powers that way. So we'll have to see when that comes out. Uh, you're very curious to see what, like I could say, like a Farseer or what Eldrad's data sheet looks like in comparison to these guys. So Yeah, them stupid pointy ears getting all the fancy tricks. Exactly. I want to see what Airman's looks like. Yeah, that's another one I can think of, too. But um, Oh, that reminds me. I need to get a vacuum out. <laughs> but uh, buried in the lead here, um, it wasn't on th until the fourth time I read this article. If we go back to the librarian for a second, um, he's also armed with a combi weapon. And I specifically say combi weapon because the days of having to choose between a combi melta, combi plasma, combi flamer, or a combi bolter seem to be gone. Well, we don't know exactly what we're looking at here. I mean, it's possible they're not. But it's possible they are. Yeah, so there's that line it says is this says combi weapon, and it includes anti infantry four plus, so it's it always in, ne uh, never worse than wounding an infantry model on a four plus, devastating wounds, which we talked about, and rapid fire one, 24 inch range, uh, one attack. It has a ballistic skill of four, interesting enough, uh, strength four, AP zero, one damage. So it still has the bolter profile. I just think it's very curious that, A, it seems to be an all-purpose combi weapon thing. We've already seen the intercessors, bolters kind of being lumped into one weapon. I'm just curious, now that we're seeing intercessors in the trailer with combi weapons, is this their profile, or we actually have to keep track of who has flamers, who has plasma, who has... I don't know. It seems like it might be... Those days might be gone, that everybody gets the Harlequin weapon treatment. It, it could be. Uh, it certainly does kind of clean things up by just everybody having a combi weapon that's got the anti plus with it. And the way I see it is, is the if the librarian comes with two different left arms, because I'm pretty sure that's where the guns are going to be, you either have a you either give him a storm bolter or a combi. Yeah, I got that as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So at that point, it's either you get two shots that hit better, well, two to four shots that hit better with no AP, or you get up to two shots that are really good at 
are, are consistent at hurting infantry and can do mortal wounds against them, but not super good against everything. So we'll have to see you get a little more data on that. Uh, moving over to the next article, uh, transports are seem to be the um, flavor of the month when it comes, at least when these 10th edition drops here. These, I'm going to quote Ray here. It feels like uh, whatever's old is new again. Uh, very much 6.5 uh, all over again. Actually, looks, some of these vehicle rules remind me a lot of 5th edition, actually, which I thought was interesting. So, um, first and right hot now, an embarked unit is free to hop out once a transport has moved, provided the vehicle didn't advance or fall back. The unit can also shoot, but they cannot charge unless they disembarked from before the vehicle moves. So, I can't tell you how much I had to practice that in 5th edition. And, of course, they still brought back the assault vehicle rule. So, yes, your land raiders can um, move. You can then disembark, and then the guys coming out can charge on the turn that do that. They brought back the firing deck rule, which means guys inside rhinos can still shoot again. Granted, only two of them, just like the old days, but it's back. So, the thing about the firing deck is... Instead of it being the guys inside that are shooting, they actually specify that it's effectively the transport itself who has the weapon. So at that point, you still draw line of sight from any part of the transport and stuff like that. Yeah, so as far as um, it goes, it's still the, the idea is it's the guys inside shooting, but for the purposes of kind of just going. That cleaned up a lot of rolls from the old days. I'm glad they did that. Well, it, yeah. It, so there's one big thing in here that's kind of hidden, and anybody who doesn't read too closely could miss it, is that when you scroll down to where it shows the Space Marine Repulsor, and actually read at the transport rules it has there, the Repulsor is no longer locked Primaris. Along with them basically getting rid of that keyword, there's no as much of them as to what can go into which outside of how many mod models they Units count as. Yeah, so Adeptus Astartes, uh, infantry. Uh, 12 can go into the Propulsor. Uh, each jump pack, Wolfen, or Gravis, or Terminator models take up two models, and a Centurion takes up three models. What? What is this craziness? Everybody gets in the, the bus now? Crazy. I'll tell you what automatically came to mind after I really got, all, got done this art two or three times is intercessors and drop pods. Yeah. The, at that point, it would just come down to if the drop pods are classified as assault vehicles because of the fact that, yes, when a drop pod lands, it immediately makes the guys disembark. But if it's not an assault vehicle, then the guys literally are dropped in, they get out, and then they're hanging out there with their boots in the wind. They're shooting. And, and they are shooting, yes. But if you're playing something like, let's say, Blood Angels or Dark Angels or white scars sure shooting is great and all but you do better in combat not intercessors assault intercessors i'm just saying in general like because sure primaris marines going into a drop pod and being dropped in to do stuff that's all well and good but if they don't make primaris marines as cheap as normal marine i would still much rather put a unit of devastators in a drop pod rather than primaris marines I'm looking at that. I'm also looking at Fish and Fury is coming back for some Tau players. Yes, it just changes. A lot of the old favorites uh, are, are coming back. So I'm like, okay. So getting used mm -hmm. to that. Uh, one example they gave here as well, the rapid deployment rule. The Torox has that. It can 
models can uh, still disembark even if the unit advanced, but uh, they still cannot charge, which I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, open top vehicles, by the way, that rule's gone, but they are still using the fire deck. So the example they gave was the battle wagon. It has a fire deck 22 rule. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess 22 guns that happen to be in the unit that's riding inside are now part of the weapon profile of the battle wagon. <laughs> so to give you an actual size capacity, the battle wagon used to only carry 20. Yeah. It got a two more seats. <laughs> oh, adding some characters. Did you get two more seats or did a couple guys just decide they don't need a seat? Uh, I know. I'm pretty sure it's they're sitting on the other guy's head. And that's why it's fire deck, firing deck 22. Because they're all just shooting up into the air trying to get the other guy off of their shoulders. <laughs> so at this point in the article, I was about ready to fall asleep. I was like, okay, big deal. Big deal. No surprise. Mobile command unit, the Chimera. You can give The officer can give orders from inside the transport. I'm like, snooze. More fun for the Imperium. And then all of a sudden, I read this next thing. Fire support. This is on the Eldari Falcon. If you're in your shooting phase after this unit has shot, select one enemy unit hit by one or more of those attacks until the end of the turn. Each time a friendly unit that disembarked from this transport makes an attack against uh, that targets that enemy unit, you can re-roll the wound rolls. I just went, what? You fire off a random scatter laser at something, and then the fire dragons that popped out get to re-roll wounds against it? That's nuts! <laughs> I mean, I can dig it. Because <laughs> the when I take an army like my custodes and I put it in perspective, in the actual codex, the only transport we have is the land raider. So the land raider, okay, it's an assault vehicle. We move the land raider up 12. I drop my wardens, they move, and they can charge. Yeah. And like, yay! Yay, custodian delivery service! But also, it's a land raider. <laughs> yes, it is. But that's what they were good for. I mean, that was, I remember, 6th edition, many, the, the, the one of the very early archetypes was how many, you know, three land raiders chucked to the brim with assault style whether it be uh, Terminators with Lightning Claws and Thunder Hammers or whatever else you can throw in there because they would just... good. You could kill one, you might kill two. There's not, you're not killing three Land Raiders in one turn based on the tech, based on the meta at that point. And it was just like, oh, here they come. So, Yep. It, it might make me have an excuse to play a Land Raider. Yeah. Which is going to be super strange because I would much rather play a Mastodon. Yeah, well, we know somebody in our local meta who has one. So, uh, and my last little uh, little asterisk is here at the bottom. Uh, Rhino Razorback and Impulsors still have specialized for certain squad types in terms of transport, but many large models like Terminators and Gravis armored Space Marines still have their own restrictions. So, I'd be curious there if um, Intercessors and Primaris units can still hop into a Rhino. But I'm assuming Terminators and Gravis Armor cannot get into those chassis. And if they can't, yeah. No, no, you're fine, Ray. We were on kind of the same page. I would just assume Gravis and Terminators and whatnot just take up more space in the Predators and stuff. But you have to be under a certain squad size. And the second one, this is a little to do here. Repulsors let endangered space marines dive inside when the enemy charge draws near. So I'm beginning to wonder, is that what replaces the 
What was the ability they had that reduced the charge distance when you attacked them? It was literally like the grav repulse field or something. Something ridiculous like that, yeah. Because that was the thing. You planted on a crater, so the grav repulse field gave you minus two, the crater gave you an additional minus two, minus four to charge distance, come get me. And I was like, ugh, I hate you. <laughs> so, as we'll get to terrain in a second, that seems to be dead, that tactic. Yep. But the way you could also see this is Oh, hey, I had this unit with my really good character in it. The rest of them are dead. I don't want you to charge my character. He hops into an impulsor. Yeah, that's, that might be the case. So, yeah, lots of news. So, we definitely get in the sense that transports are going to be essential in 10th edition. So, um, I don't want to make too much the sky is falling, but uh, take a look at your collection. If you haven't finished painting your transports, now would be a time to do so. <laughs> Uh, I mean, half the transports that I want for my custodes, I have to go to Forge World, and I have no idea what those things are going to do, because dear bejesus. Yeah, well, all my raiders, and Venoms, all my raiders yeah. and Venoms are getting a nice new paint job. So so at that point, I think we can just scap, we can skip the last article. We can go home, see the house through the trees, maybe walk through a crater. I don't know. Mm. Oh no! This is good. This is Eric's favorite part of the episode. He gets to talk about how the terrain's gonna be. Yeah. So this was, I think, two weeks ago. I said this was one of the key things I was looking at. So, so far coming into this edition, I've been on a scale of one to ten as a TO. I'm I'm like a seven and a seven to eight on the excitement scale, and as a player, about a five because I see a lot of a lot of these changes are just simply user interface changes. This is the first time we've really seen any big changes. But the key thing I want to see was terrain, because on one, I really enjoyed the way the terrain played in ninth. Uh, I think, again, it was a user interface issue. And I thought the way we did at our tournaments were similar to when you go to your favorite diner, they have the specials in a little plastic sleeve on the side. Here are the terrain rules. Here's a picture of the terrain. Here is what keywords they have. Run with it. I thought that cleared up a lot of the issues and it gave a lot of variety to the to terrain spots. From a TO standpoint, what changes are you going to make? Because people want to play with this day one when this comes out. If the terrain isn't set up for the new rules, do I have time to remake new terrain to, to match this? So when this article came out, I got super excited. And I read it. And I kept reading it. And I go... There's a second page, right? Hmm, no. Let me read it again. So I've had a couple of days to, to kind of think it through. So I don't, from a rule standpoint, I am disappointed. Do you seem, when they said simple, not simplified, uh, I think they went too far on this. There's, it's basically, the rules are, if there's crap in the way, you get a plus one to your armor. Yay. Whoop you do. Yeah. And, and basically everything gives you an opportunity, but again, it's uh, uh, the old, the, the rule that keeps coming up here is each time the arranged attack is allocated to an infantry model, that's important, that is wholly within, if the model is not fully visible to every unit from the attacking unit because of this terrain feature, they, this model has the benefit of cover against that attack, which is plus one to your armor save, not your vulnerable save. So I was like, uh, okay, right off the bat, um, the simple things like woods gave you minus one hit, it's gone. Um, ruins got a little better. Uh, I don't know, let's let's break it down. Let's go in order. So it just there's some there are some good things in here, and I was like okay, but um, 
They simplified things in terms of terrain fits into fewer categories. And by combining a few categories makes actually from the hobby standpoint a little bit easier. So craters uh, are, of course, are back because I still make those. <laughs> and if you're infantry and you're standing wholly within, that comes up a lot, you get cover. So uh, same thing with rubble. So anything flat and takes up a lot of space on the table, you can uh, get cover off to your infantry models. Okay. The nice thing is they specifically said wholly within, so no more arguments of toe in terrain crap. That's all gone. So I'm like, thank God they got that fixed. Yep, and then we have the the barricades and the fuel pipes. So the stupid, annoying multi-piece fuel pipes that people keep knocking around and never remember the shape of it. Yeah, those ones. So for the barricades and the fuel pipes engagement range in the charge phase, if an enemy unit is within one inch of the stream feature, it extend it it extends the engagement range to two inches. So basically, it lets you fight over the barricade or the fuel pipe, right. like it did ninth edition. Granted, and only if the enemy unit is on the other opposite side of the train feature. Yeah, that's the important bit. Is you literally have to fight over it, not around it. So you can't go around the side of the pipe. And in the fight phase, units are eligible to fight, and models can make attacks if their target is on the opposite side of the train feature and within two inches of them. So at that point, you can still fight in two ranks, but you kind of literally have to pile up against the pipe. So and the go ahead. No, I was to say, it's just, when I first read this, I was kind of like you guys. Okay, big hum. All right. We finally, we still have all these pipes that are taking up space and maybe we'll find. Actually, the more I read this, I'm like, these actually make them usable. Because mm -hmm. if you're behind the pipe, you get cover. And I'd said when ninth edition dropped, the most under, and I still say it, the most underused piece of terrain was those half walls. They're probably, you know, they're from Kill Team. They're only like two inches tall. They have gaps in them. So they're not obscuring, but they were minus one to hit and you're defensible. So it was kind of a neat little piece to hide behind. These pipes are lying around everywhere. They're a bunch of kits. They're easy to get a hold of. Now you actually get cover behind them. This might actually be a nice addition to the tournament scene as a, an, op, an optional terrain piece. And going back to the actual definition of benefit of cover, it's you can never have better than a three plus save from the benefit of cover. So that's an important thing to keep track of where you, you have a Space Marine, he's not getting a two-up save and cover. He's effectively ignoring the first level of AP on something. So he will always have a three-plus armor save. Right. So, And as far as I know, there's no sign of an infantry caveat unless it's in one of the asterisks at the bottom of the article. I haven't seen so, it. Yeah, I'm just looking for it. So, cough, cough, wink, wink. Potential for vehicles to get covered? Hmm. They're being obscured, so why not? You know, it's it's long as it's uh, it's in the way, you're getting cover. So I was like, okay. Well, yeah. if I may, so far the things we've covered, yeah, because so far we've only gone over the craters and rubble, barricades and fuel pipe. They specifically say infantry model. Yeah, it's those ones have specific conditions for infantry for their benefit of cover, but the generic benefit, the generic version of benefit from cover. It has no implications of that. So if it's a ruin, it could potentially give a a vehicle cover in in the larger scale of the game. This is more like minutiae, close quarter stuff. And similar to that, we actually get to the battlefield debris, which is things like the the tire stacks and the squig nests from the orc boy mech shop, the statue, the plasma generators, all the little construction bots. 
And these actually do not have that infantry specification. So anything can get cover from these guys. And at first I was like, uh, this was an opportunity. They could have done more with it. But then I'm thinking like, okay, if you're going to a games workshop uh, tournament, they have these things on the table and they do absolutely nothing. And now they might do something. I still think their footprints are too small that you're not going to be able to hide a unit behind. But again, it's model to model. So the idea is you're going to shoot the first two models that you that don't have cover and then the rest of the units behind this piece and they're getting cover saves. So I'm like, okay, maybe the plasma conduits finally get some use on the table. We'll see. But I was like, eh, okay. And by the way, good luck yeah. finding those statues. <laughs> those things go for like $150 on eBay. <laughs> But yeah, a lot of the terrain is no longer sold by GW. Yeah. I mean, I have some Age of Sigmar ones. They're roughly about the same size. So, uh, The next one, actually, I was quite pleased by, and more I thought about it, this is actually a positive change. And you're probably thinking, hills. Okay, nothing could be more boring than a hill. So the key, though, is the definition of the hill is now expanded. So the armored containers, which everybody bought 4,000 of, it's a hill. When you think about it, it always was a hell. You're exposed on the top. You got cover if you're behind it. You can land on top of it. It wasn't that hard. So yeah, I was smart to do that. But the other interesting thing is any uh, enclosed building or sealed structures also counts as a hill. So suddenly, if you're frontline gaming, you got to be jumping up and down right now because with excitement, those dreaded magic boxes of Necron terrain that nobody liked and you were going to mothball suddenly become hills and you have viable terrain on the table again yep also if you want to be that guy and you have the old school field base with the giant hangar that's oh, a yeah. giant hill it's a giant hill <laughs> it's a giant hill absolutely i uh, also thought you can from a hobby standpoint i'm thinking like okay these are now hills i can do something other than rocky outcropping i can make things that look like standalone buildings that are smaller and um, have some design and cause you can't go inside, you can add so much like lighting effects and stuff like that. So like, okay, this could be a little bit of fun. So the hill thing I was pretty excited by. And then I got to the woods and I just went like, <laughs> so the, the actual specific thing for hills and sealed bunkers for their benefit of cover, each time a range attack is allocated to a model. If that model is not fully visible to every model in the attacking unit, because of the terrain feature, that model has the benefit of cover against that attack. So at that point, shooting angles become really, really important. Yeah, And I can see that as a TO going like, okay, can I see enough of this? And again, it gets like not fully visible. So it's going to be like, I don't have to worry about 50%, 25%. So how much of the model has to be obscured? Basically, if, and I wish they had said all of the base rather than the model. Because that mm. will make it a lot easier than, well, his arm is still stuck behind the, <laughs> uh, the, the hill or the wall or whatever. It mm. is. But uh, nonetheless, you know that's how we're doing it. So, yep. And then, as Eric mentioned on the woods, this is where it probably gets the most wordy, because it actually mentions visibility, and that I haven't seen anything else on this yet. It'll probably be on ruins, but. So models and units that are wholly within this terrain feature are never considered to be fully visible to an observing model. 
Similarly, if a model that is not wholly within this terrain feature must look through or over this terrain feature, that's important, over because knights are tall, in order to draw a line of sight to another model, then that other model is never considered to be fully visible to the observing model, and so it will have the benefit of cover from this terrain feature. Aircraft and towering models are the exceptions. Visibility to and from such models is determined normally. Even if this model, if the, even if the string feature is wholly in between them and the observing model, models that are wholly within the string feature can see out of it normally. Wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> it was. And uh, so a couple of good things. We're back to wholly within. So no more towing in woods. Yay. We get the return of aircraft don't get uh, cover. Whatever a towering model is, speculate from there. I'm sure a large knight is probably one of them. Is a is Magnus a towering model? No idea. So could be, couldn't be. We'll, we'll never know uh, until the rules come out. But the big thing here is, if you're inside it, you get cover. If you're behind it for whatever reason, you're not actually in the woods, you get cover. But you can shoot through the woods. So the they're not obscuring. Which I know some tournaments were toying with the idea of making woods obscuring, so you couldn't shoot through them. Here you go. They've decided. Uh, you're getting cover, not a minus one to hit anymore, and you can shoot through them. And oh, by the way, no difficult terrain. Yep. And then they save probably the best for last actual ruins. Yes. They did clean this up a bit, and um, they don't use the word obscuring anymore, but the rule is still there. Uh, these wrecked and damaged structures completely block visibility to all models, except towering and aircraft, through their footprint, regardless of how much you can see through those fancy gothic windows. Otherwise, models outside can shoot in, and models inside can shoot out. So the, the same old rules apply. If you're in the, in the uh, ruins and they have windows, you can be seen, you can be shot. Likewise, the models in the ruins can shoot out. But if you're not in the ruins, but there's a ruin between you, it doesn't matter how many windows it has, you can't shoot through the windows, through the footprint to a model that's not in the ruins. So nothing's really changed. So I'm like, okay, fine, moving on. No, 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 we have to, we have to finally bake in something from City Fight into these rolls. And I go, oh, come on. Uh, when attacking model is more than six inches above the ground level and shooting at a target on the ground... Uh, making it, uh, they get uh, plus one AP. Um, how many people nowadays do you see putting models on the second floor of buildings? Uh, slim to none. And I also did a quick look. How many um, current major tournaments have terrain that has more than six inches tall that you allow you to put a model that high? I found two. One of them is ours, Spike Club Open, which, by the way, tickets are on sale now, so check that out. And the other one would be the WTC. If you, the third floor of the standard kit is more than six inches above the table. That's it. No one else does it. I know my gamemat.eu terrain does that because it's two scale of the WTC stuff, just not as big and odd shaped pieces. But there's only like one window on on the top floor. So good luck having everyone shoot out of it and see down below you. So yeah, these rules are definitely written for their terrain in mind that has a whole bunch of windows. Yeah. So... I guess, take a deep breath. So first of all, I thought the rules were, were very vanilla, very plain, oversimplified, and I was a little disappointed. Um, I guess this will make 
the game work a little faster? I don't know. Um, from a modeling standpoint, when you, like I said, there's a little more freedom at this point, so I don't feel like I have to cut up anything. I don't feel like any of my terrain, uh, or for that matter, I don't think anyone's terrain in the tournament circuit is obsolete. I think it can be used on day one, so that's a good sign. I think there's a little more said opportunity for more pipes in um, Battlefield Debris. That could be another option as well. But overall, I was just like, it definitely favors plus one plus one cover save when plus one to your armor save when you have a t-shirt save to begin with means nothing it, it's it doesn't i i really missed the minus one to hit and overall this was very frustrating to see this lack of differentiation i also see there's a lack of there's a couple other terrain pieces that are out there that were not discussed so i'm just like okay all right that's, that's what we're playing with we'll move on yeah it's um it's a whole bunch of we're going to revamp the terrain stuff so that way even in the article they say technically speaking they had twelve thousand possible terrain types okay based off of what your terrain yes that makes sense no every single other some math there took all the different keywords and how many different combinations i've come up with it was pretty hard to come up with something that was obscuring an unstable yet difficult ground i was just like no that's not possible so yeah uh whatever um that's called a bowling ball yeah so the the terrain rules are definitely a you look at something it has these things which is nice and straightforward the argument is going to become all right you go to an event, you have a bunker, and, oh, the bunker can be entered. Is it still a hill? Well, that... No, because it describes it as, uh, the, it described it as enclosed. Well, that, that's what I'm talking about. If an event has the stuff like the frontline gaming terrain where their bunkers are enclosed, but the event is ruling that you can go into the bunker, is it still a hill? I see what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know. That's up to honestly. That's the terrain, the uh, terrain, and the uh, terrain organizers funded unravel. But yes, the good news is those bunkers from days of old, um, and some of them are the smaller ones. They're eight by six ones that Frontline makes. They're now hills. You don't you don't have to worry about doorways and entryways, and you can hop on the second floor with no problem. And um, at that part is actually kind of exciting that those those terrain sets are back in play. Mm-hmm. It also makes it so that way when players look at a table, it's no longer a, oh, this pathway is blocked off for everyone except for infantry. Uh, bikes can now go on to hills, which means you can watch them drive over a building, at least in theory. That's a very good point. As is a knight can actually step over armored containers finally. I mean, that's going to cost us basically all of our movement, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other. Oh, that reminds me of another rule, which is going to be interesting from uh, those who use the player place terrain rules. Currently, the player trace rules, you cannot place a, another piece of terrain within four inches of one you've already placed. These rules specifically say you may place another terrain piece on top of a hill. Mm -hmm. So now it's like I can put the hill down and now I can put a ruin down. So now maybe I can get that six inches of height to shoot down at something. Um, that's an interesting twist as well if it, how that will play out in the player place terrain rules yep i mean if if the player place terrain rules don't get changed to accommodate for stuff like that oh man you better believe i'm gonna look at something and go that's a nice hill i got there it'd be awesome if i put a ruin on top of it right well, 
<laughs> That'd be kind of cool. Now, and also terrifying. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing of, of all the major tournament circuits right now, or, or event providers, I think Games Workshop is the one that probably has to change the most. Because they've got their four large 12-inch ruins, which I don't believe they have any windows on. They're all only five inches tall, and then you've got a few random plasma generators floating around at center field and the corners. Uh, doesn't really fit as much as what uh, the new game seems to be going at. So I'd be curious to see if they change it or not. We'll just have to see, because, yeah, I've honestly thought about going to GW events next year for 10th edition with what army that I decide to play. And yeah, if I felt like I could take any army I wanted and have fun, you better believe I'm going to do that. So for example, Ray sent this over while we were talking Warhammer Fest this weekend. As of this recording, 247 registered participants out of 450. That's a lot of tables. Oh yeah. So I'd be curious to see what they come up with. Are they going to stay with this, the standard they've been playing with which i have a feeling they will they're pretty stubborn about these sort of things mm-hmm. um but it's yeah they're the ones that are i think the the biggest outlier when it comes to these new rules so I, i'm still going to digest it i may actually i don't know i don't think we have enough rules as of this moment to actually try a practice game but um i mean just just trying i kind of want to do the mental exercise of going through at least a couple rounds and see like what do we know what we don't know at this point of the 10th edition game and what will change but um i'm definitely leaning towards you need transports that's i think that's going to be something that's going to be essential moving forward yeah i agree with regardless of whatever army you are so yep i'm going to hate putting together that rectangle but god dang it i'm going to do it yep so I think that's going to be a big thing. I think um, I'm still thinking that you know, the ruined walls and the pipes are, could be a new thing. Um, it would definitely help with infantry. But like you said, it doesn't help with vehicles and other, but even like bikes and stuff can't get cover from those. So they may not see as much play. Um, one thing we have not seen yet, which is a big thing, the new missions. Mm-hmm. I've yet to see the word action mentioned once. Yep. And also the the fact that they took away not just the keyword light cover, but dense cover and heavy cover. That literally means every single form of cover is now slapped together in one choice. Right. So if you ignore cover, it's that much easier because you're not having to argue which form of cover you ignore. Yep. Which I do agree is a great simplification. Um, I would have liked to have seen is something like, uh, well, actually, some people brought it up. Could you go back to the old rules that, um, like, Woods gave you a five-up invol, you know, so or a four-up invol, depending. I forgot which rule set you used, so you didn't have to worry about it. Because the idea that if I'm wearing a t-shirt or if I'm wearing power armor, I'm behind a rock. The rock's ability to stop bullets does not change what I'm wearing. So, <laughs> I mean, that would have been a really healthy way to do it too. Because, yeah, you you can choose to take it on your armor. Oh, hey, yeah, I have a three-plus armor save. Da, 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 da. Oh, that's an AP2 gun? Well, crap. <laughs> yeah, I better break it behind this tree. So those are things they could have done differently. Um, yeah, the I didn't even think of it at that point. We brought it up. It's can the vehicles and the bikes and the cavalry and whatnot move through all these stuff without in, any restrictions? So far, it seems that's the case. So... That means funneling and uh, creating traps for infantry uh, for non-infantry units 
goes away. So I'm like, oh, okay. That open it is almost planted bowling ball at this point from a movement standpoint. That's a concern. That really worries me a little bit. That I know that okay, I don't your rhino can just go wherever it wants to go. Yep. And unless they make land raiders have a three plus armor save instead of a two plus, then things are going to be tough cookies. Yeah. Which again I'm justifying me building one of my least favorite models in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like it. Make me stop, Eric. <laughs> I'll sell you mine. <laughs> no, I already have one. I don't want a second one. Just, just embrace it. No. Embrace it. No. Embrace it. Or, you know, the other option is to just go back to the orcs. Yeah, I, I do have two battle wagons for that already. There we go. <laughs> I don't know. The interesting thing I'm curious to see for this week... Um, one of the comments, I was reading through the comments trend, and one of the uh, fans asked uh, whether the board side has changed. And of course, the stock answer from Games Workshop was, uh, more articles coming up on that soon. I don't think that's going to change. I don't either, but it just, just put that little glimmer of doubt, and I just went, uh-oh. <laughs> Please don't change it again. <laughs> I, I think that's just going to be a stock answer. Yeah, I think so too. But it just was just enough, put enough doubt in my head as what? Oh no! I just upgraded all my mats, so I'd have to rechange, have to change them all again. <laughs> you know, the whole reason they changed the sides was to go more in line with your average dining room table. So I think it would be a disservice. I honestly say, just about any player to go back to this. Yeah, I, I'm actually from. <laughs> I know from practical experience when we try to come out with our own tabletop game, it also has to do with what fits in the box. <laughs> yeah, the the only thing I would say is if they do dare change the table size, just make it a five foot by four foot. Table. I like having forty eight inch mats and not having to do math about how many inches I have to chop off. Yeah, that's true. But um, so yeah, I'm a little excited with what comes out next. But yeah, the terrain thing was a little bit of a, a bummer. I was like, oh man. Um, like I said, I'm gonna try. I don't try and look at what I got and make sure everything is compatible. But for the most part, I think the what the basic rules are: line of sight blocking is still king, and um, Let's go forward from there. So, so I, I will say this right now, not for terrain use, but for hobby progress. If you know where to find any of like the mechanicus walkways, please let me, Robert, know because I don't want to pay like one hundred and fifty dollars on eBay for the ones that I need. <laughs> yeah, that's the other. That's the other strange thing is Games Workshop comes out with terrain and. Like goes out of stock and it never comes back. It's it's weird, and they still use it in the promotional items. And then there's the, like terrain they use in the promotional items that never came out. Like if take a look at any of the um, release photos of the Corsairs, there's these cool Eldar walkways. They're not available, <laughs> not for sale. Uh, any of the Tau stuff never never been sold. <laughs> it's just like what the hell. <laughs> Well, That's the fun it, part, too, when you have all these, because they do all these really nice, big, whole idea of these ter- this, these trainers taking pictures. They make those trains just for that, just for that, and it's 
oh, this is how I made it. They never sell it, though. No. Well, those were fun. That was back in the old days. Yeah, like, here's the, here's the terrain building article. This is how we built it. And you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. I could do that. Or other ones, you're just like, yeah, I'm not going to spend $400 on <laughs> on bits so I can put together a single ruin. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate yep. that. But, um, so, yeah, those are Yes. I'm going to blow your mind. What's that? Games Workshop on their actual website has the Tau terrain available for purchase. The Tau terrain or the Tau fortifications? Fortification beasts. Well, I mean, it's under the terrain keyword now. Okay. So the drone port and the shield line, yes. Okay. Well, that's okay. They still sell the Sacristan Forge Shrine that has no rules anymore. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's. <laughs> I'm probably going to end up buying a couple of those. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, but I am excited about the new Battleshock rules. I'm excited about the vehicle transport rules. Um, the new turn s- s- uh, format seems really neat. And uh, psychic powers seem to be less of a stop the game and watch my opponent roll dice and as I take mortal wounds. So I'm excited about that. Yep. And now it's going to be, hey, that character in that unit's annoying. It shouldn't be there. Well, too bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no more the, the re-explaining the lookout sir role to 101 players. But anyway, it's all gone now. So I think that'll also I think it'd be interesting from a movement standpoint that it would actually speed up the game because that's less. Although it's same number of units, less elements you have to deal with on the table. So I think that could be one way they'll speed up the game. Yeah. What do you guys want to see this week? If the, if you could pick the preview, tell me what towering is. <laughs> I need to know exactly how big of a model I have to have to not gain cover and how many big stompy robots I can bring for funsies. Okay. How about you, Ray? I want to see an example. Good call there. I want to see the app. <laughs> well, I mean, just look at your phone, Eric. It should be there. It is there. And um, like I said, the app for me has been great. I, I agree with a lot of people. The, the list building software is not the great. It has a little error prone. But uh, the looking up rules and stuff, it's all there. And that part is really cool. So, it's not all- But uh, I'd be curious to see what the, with the new edition rules, what else? They're, they keep saying they've added all these new features to the app. Show me. I want to see it. It's going to come with confetti and rainbows. That'd be kind of fun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it came with the sound effects, it'd be really cool. I shoot you. Pew, pew. I press a button. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you just play me. I come with my own sound effects. That's true. But it'd be a lot of fun to do that on the on the app. But yeah, I was curious. What, what, tell me more about the app. What does it have on there? So, but yeah, I like to see that. Be curious. The missions, I'm with you, Ray. Show me a mission. I've heard some rumors. and uh, But I don't know if that is the tournament play or just the, oh, it's the this is the demo version we're going to be playing when you show up at Kansas City. Realistically speaking, we probably won't see any examples of a mission until about that time. So I'd like to say, failing them doing that, I would like to see how their kind of rules address having character sets. Mm. Because I'm hoping that they limit one character and well, yeah, they already did specify that each unit can only have one leader attached to it. Did they, they I didn't of... see that. Yeah. They, there are some caveats, like some of like Space Marines get an exception. A captain, any lieutenant can join a unit. And they alluded to like warlocks can join a unit uh, that already has a leader. But I'll, I'm trying to remember like Gene Sealer Cult, if all their like elite choice leaders 
in join units or they all get the lone operator rule or whatever it's called the lone that yeah, part was, that a was confusing pretty, yeah that, the gene sealer ones i believe most of them would end up getting lone operative okay because they're all special ones whereas the space marine and stuff have command structure to follow yeah that might be the situation there so yeah but yeah that actually makes it so that way you can't have a librarian and lieutenant join it you can only have a captain ah good point or the librarians by themselves. Mm, interesting. It's starting to come together. Mm-hmm. Insert evil. Well, that's what I'm thinking. Is that ev- really an evil thing, or is that actually a good thing? So I'll be curious to see how that works. And then uh, go back to, let's go back to, like, like Grey Knights or Thousand Sons, where the unit sergeant's already a psyker. Are they the leader of the group, or can you still add a... I would assume you could still add a leader to that unit, and then you have two psychers in the same unit. That could get interesting. Yep, but we can talk more about that next week, depending on what we see. Yep, should have plenty of previews. And uh, any late-breaking news, check out all our social media platforms. We'll be more than happy to give you updates. In the meantime, my name's Eric. I'm Raymond. I'm Robert. And thank you for listening to the Exterminatus Podcast. (laughs) 